The Way Out Podcast, episode 73. I'm a grateful addict, but I don't like to describe myself as an addict anymore because I'd like to say that I'm a person in long-term recovery and then give myself positive feedback every morning so that I can accomplish more goals. I'm a, I'm a father of six kids. I'm a son to my parents, to my two parents, my mom and dad. I'm a brother to one sister. Um, I'm a student. I'm an employer. I'm an employee. So I'm, you know, I'm more than an addict. Um, so well, you know, one, one of the things he was supposed to do is watch me one day, but he was drinking. Um, I wasn't even, you know, a year old, and he had me in the front of the Harley drinking and driving and crashed. I got the keychain stuck up here above my nose. He had to get in one more car accident. Luckily this time I wasn't in there. Um, it was just my mom and him. My mom was in the passenger seat and she got wedged up underneath the glove compartment and basically broke every bone in her body. Wow. When I was one. Wow. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out. Sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow the Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform the way out podcast is on right now i'm charlie and i'll be your host for this week's incredible episode where we'll hear part one of a two-part series with christopher lee Belk. christopher's life was nearly over before it really even began as he suffered a traumatic accident while riding on the back of a harley with his alcoholic father whom would nearly end up killing his mother in another drunken accident a few short months later listen up. Christopher, welcome to the Way Out Podcast. I can't thank you enough for coming down to the Way Out Podcast studios to join me live and in person to share your experience, strength, and hope, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Thank you, brother, so much for being here. Well, thank you. So tell the Way Out Podcast audience while you're being uh, lick attacked by the uh, incomparable Louie. Um, uh, a little bit about uh, yourself, and uh, and then we'll kind of dive into your story. All right. Well, my name is Christopher Lee Falk, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means to me is I've been clean and sober since July 16th, 2013. Wow. <laughs> July 16th, 
2013. A little over four and a half years. That's amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, what that also means to me um, is I'm a grateful addict, but I don't like to describe myself as an addict anymore because I'd like to say that I'm a person in long-term recovery and then give myself positive feedback every morning so that I can accomplish more goals. Um, so when did that change for you? When did you really stop identifying as an addict and start identifying as a person in long-term recovery? You know, there wasn't a certain time frame. Um, it's more of the, edu- as, I, as I got further along in my education, I'm going to school to be a alcohol and drug counselor. Mm-hmm. So I, from what I've learned there, what I've learned at Minnesota Recovery Connection and their educations that they provide, mm-hmm. um, it's just, uh, I think, a more positive way for somebody to talk about themselves. I would agree, and I think it sends a different message about who you are and you know what your life is about. For sure, and you know, I am an addict. Um, I am. I was an alcoholic first, and then I was an addict, and then I was a grateful addict. Um, but I'm more than that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a father of six kids. I'm a son to my parents, to my two parents, my mom and dad. I'm a brother to one sister. Um, I'm a student. I'm an employer. I'm an employee. So, I'm, you know, I'm more than an addict. You're a lot of different things. I'm a lot of different. And I because you're in long-term recovery, that enables you to have a life like that. That's a full life. That's, you got a lot going on there, right? Exactly. I mean, my life looks a lot different now right. than it did then. Right. So let's talk about that. What was life like for you growing up? Are you from Minnesota? Born in Minnesota, yep. Um, my mom, my dad was in the Air Force, so shortly after I was born, we moved to California for a short stint, because mm-hmm. um, my dad was drinking in the Air Force, so he got, he went AWOL, um, so, well, you know, one, one of the things he was supposed to do was watch me one day, but he was drinking, um, and I wasn't even, you know, a year old, and he had me in the front of the Harley drinking and driving and crashed. I got the keychain stuck up here above my nose. Obviously, I don't remember it. <laughs> you were one year old, and or not even, and your father put you out of Harley while he was drunk and crashed. Yep. And so wow. You'd think that would have been, you know, his... A wake-up call, the moment of clarity. Right. But uh, it wasn't. He had to get in one more car accident. Luckily, this time, I wasn't in there. Um... It was just my mom and him. My mom was in the passenger seat, and she got wedged up underneath the glove compartment and basically broke every bone in her body. Wow. When I was one. Wow. So, obviously, he ended up getting kicked out of the Air Force. He quit drinking after that one. Um, You know, for one of his first 13-year runs. I think he had a couple different times that 13 years, which is... Really? A little worrisome, but... <laughs> really? Yeah. So he was sober for 13 years after that, so that was enough this time of a wake-up call for yeah, him I'm, to... Yes, but... Was he working any sort of program, or did he just not drink? He was a big AA guy, but he was on the marijuana maintenance. Got it. Um, the marijuana maintenance program. The marijuana maintenance plan, mm-hmm. which 
you know, my mom was in a body cast for six, eight months, mm. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, shortly after that. And, you're, and your mom and dad are still together at this point? They are. Still okay. married, yep. He had Is left, disappeared for a few months here and there. but Right, right. Amazing. Well, she couldn't really physically leave him because she was in a body cast. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so, was... so that pretty much ended our stint out in California, and we moved back to Anoka here. Uh-huh. But uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm from Minnesota, and I've really never left. What was that experience like growing up with a dad that was, as you described, a big AA guy, but he was on the marijuana maintenance program that probably colored your perception of at least twelve step recovery. Um, well, as a kid, for sure, and it wasn't only my dad. Um, my dad had five brothers. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest of five brothers, and the first four, you know, were all in, all drank and smoked marijuana. And most of them had quit drinking. Were all in AA. Plus, his father, my grandpa, um, who I was very close to, was also in AA. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I was brought up. At twenty two eighteen, you know that was our. You were born and raised in the twenty two eighteen parking lot. They had circuses and clowns, and you know, with one teeth, one tooth, and so I was, wow. you know, I knew that building. I made coffee. Uh-huh. I put chairs up, so I knew AA, you know, my whole life growing up, basically. But you might have been under an impression that it was okay to, you know, smoke weed. Well, well yeah. <laughs> for sure, and I tried it a few times, but. Luckily for me, it just wasn't my thing. I'd yeah. get a big smile on my face and lights were out. <laughs> I was, oh, cold. It's still so, my favorite smell in the world. It is marijuana. I suppose sure. just from childhood. Oh, So it probably it. conjures up these sort of, yeah. Oh, if I see a dead skunk on the road, I'll go back and run him over again. <laughs> I can smell it all week long. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's a little weird, brother. That's yeah, just a little weird, I'm well, going to tell you. It's just, it's pretty early in the show here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's only going to get weirder. So, when is the first time that uh, drugs and or alcohol become a part of your story and not just your family's story? First time that I remember, it was 13 years old, um... Over at a buddy's house, he had, was sneaking uh, beers out of a cooler, and we'd take off. Our moms and dads were all playing cribbage or poker, or gambling at the tables, mm. smoking their marijuana, mm-hmm. drinking their non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I didn't want the pot because everybody did that, so that wasn't an attraction to me. I wanted the beer sure. that was, you know. That nobody ever drank. taboo. Right. I want that. Right. And um, first time I drank it, I just remember the fizz and the warm flow and then the chunks coming up, you know? Yeah. I puked the very first time. Really? I think I puked every time I drank for at least the first 10 times. Did you always drink to excess? Oh, for sure. I mean, I was always had to be the first one done, Mm -hmm. you know, drink, slamming a beer Mm -hmm. or doing a shot. And I didn't know any limits at, you know, right away. How did, do you, was the feeling that alcohol gave you memorable for you or not? Um, 
I think it was memorable as in it would make me sick to my stomach for so long that I would quit. I mean, and I would have to. It's like, I'm mm-hmm. not doing that ever, ever mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it would last, you know, when I was only 13, 14, it would last, you know, a good month or so. Right. But as, you Which know. seemed like of, a long time at 13. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we got into, you know, start of high school, you know, how you get to the high school and there's that, okay, I can start all over again. I don't have to hang out with these guys. I can get Clean slate, baby. Clean slate. For yep. sure. Mm-hmm. It all looks nice and rosy, but um, evidently the problem wasn't them. It was clearly me from the get-go. I could, because I ran into the same exact problems by first quarter in, you know, ninth grade. Were you... In a situation where you were sort of always looking to get drunk or drink after the first time you drank? No, not not early on. I didn't. Um, it would it would be more to act cool in front of other people. Mm-hmm. So more peer pressure. Right at first, you know, and then. Later on, later on, I would, you know, like 10th grade, I would start running home from school to whip up some Bacardi Kool-Aids right. or watch Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that brings up memories, man. Like uh, growing up, we had three channels, four if the wind was blowing in the right direction. Exactly. For right. Sure, yep. Yeah. And so I could absolutely relate to being home watching reruns of Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it could definitely got progressive. Um, I remember there was one time, you know, I, like I said, I did it more to be cool. Right. My dad would have, you know, he'd always have the the cookie sheet underneath his chair separating the stems and the seeds. Sure. And, and you know, I always say that marijuana didn't affect my life at all because I didn't want it. And uh-huh. I, I tried it, you know, here and there. But you didn't, it wasn't something that, you know, consumed you nope. or... And it was like smoking a cigarette, everybody else smoking a cigarette. You know, when I go to other people's houses and, and when my friends caught on, they're like, hey man, can we get some of that for me? Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time, I think 35 millimeter cameras were just invented because of the film capsules that they had. My dad would keep all the seeds <laughs> in one of them, all the stems in another. Sure. Yeah. Remember he'd had them up in his cupboard and I grabbed one of them to bring it, you know, on the school bus because all the older kids were asking, hey mm-hmm. man, can you get some of that stuff mm-hmm. from your dad? And well, I got caught bringing it over to his house. It fell out of my pocket, and the kid's mom found it. And I remember they told on me, and my dad made me watch after he whooped my butt with belt. Yep. <laughs> my sister was only like five, so that puts me at ten. And she brought me a book to put down my pants because she knew it was coming. It was coming. Yeah. But uh, he made me watch. After that, he watched. I had to watch Angels in the Outfield with Gary Coleman. Over and over and over and over again for two days. I'll never forget that. Why? I don't know, but... It's an interesting punishment. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, at least uh, there's some points for creativity (laughs) there. Yes. That's one way to put it. Yeah. Uh, So these experiences that you had where marijuana is commonplace, alcohol is taboo, you begin to experiment with alcohol. Immediately, you're, you drink to excess and to the point where you become physically ill. 
but you continue to do it, mm-hmm. and you're doing it at this point to fit in because you want to be accepted because you want to be part of the part of a, a, a crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and does it turn for you at some point to something else? Um, I don't think it turned until after high school. Because, you know, all the way through high school, I'd always have little periods of where I'd sober up and like, you know, I'll never do that again. Sure. And even my 21st birthday was my golden birthday. Um, but I was out, I was out in Chicago with a buddy working and he didn't drink and his birthday was the 21st as well. But uh, <clears throat> I drank O'Doul's that whole time because mm-hmm. I've been so sick. And sure. I was actually being more respectful to him because he didn't drink. But I ended up having 30 of them non-alcoholic beers. And we were Whoa. playing cards, and I had to tip the lady $5 every time. And after, because I was up winning a lot of money, and then when I lost it all, I remember looking at her, I'm like, man, you have all my money. <laughs> I <laughs> and I had the worst headache ever from that non-alcoholic I beer. I bet. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to drink that many. So, no, that was... No, but you're like me. I mean, I'll drink water quickly. Like, if it's a beverage... And it's, you know, alcohol, I especially drank quick. But any beverage I tend to drink, if it's in front of me, I'll drink it. <laughs> right. And then, you know, when you're doing it, I'm focused on the gambling and that and that addiction, that high, you yep. know. Um, right. So unconsciously, you know, that's, I'm just doing it out of, out of habit. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. When does it turn for you? Um, I think when I started working out of town with this Philadelphia company was a big deal because we went out to Butte, Montana in the middle of nowhere. It was kind of uh, first time away we rented this apartments because there was eight guys from Philadelphia, there was eight guys from Minnesota, and it was my first time flying in, you know, getting an apartment with all these older guys, Philadelphia You're guys. You're like coming of age, right? Oh, for sure. And every one of them had a, a bottle of vodka in their back pocket. They would drink it for breakfast, it'd crack it at lunch, and then at dinner time it was, you know, get your drink on. <laughs> and that was when it was, re- so breakfast and lunch was like pre-gaming, right? Yep. <laughs> and then uh, dinner. Them, yeah, yeah. I mean, these right. were old school guys, yeah. you know, Philadelphia mobster type, sure. <laughs> you know, looking. But, you know, they were really nice, so I looked up to them, and, I, you know, I thought I could hang with the big dogs. And we were actually working on a federal courthouse building out there, uh-huh. um, and there was some case going on you know we were tuck pointing the outside of the building but the case that was going on inside the building was you know, some guy that shot up a bunch of people so there was security around and well my first run-in with the law just happened to be out there you know um i had bought a crossbow a little plastic crossbow that shot these plastic darts but they had a little metal tip kind of yeah um and it was the size of a pistol um, and I was, we'd always shoot it in the apartment that we rented down in the basement. We had targets. Well, I was drinking all night long, and all of a sudden, out there, you can shoot wild animals, um, even stray dogs and cats. Really? It's legal because there's so many of them sure. in the streets. Okay. So I'm out front of the little apartment, and the cop drives by. Well, my instincts were to put it underneath my shirt, and then they nailed me for a concealed weapon. Oh jeez! At 18 years old, you know, really? They put it, put me in, put me in a jail cell out there, and that was scared. They scared the crap out of me, basically. Strip down, take the hose, kind of deal. 
So they exposed you to the entire experience. <laughs> For sure. And I, I guess I didn't even care. You know, the next morning, I had to go in front of the judge, and I told him. And he slapped a $100 fine on me. And that was it, you know, walked out, no big deal, no no real consequences. Sure. I was making really good money, you know, at Bricklayers Union out there. So I threw a $100 bill at him. Um, it was a minor. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't like a gross, it was a, it was minor. a misdemeanor. Yeah, yeah, basically. I don't even think it was that. I think it was a petty misdemeanor. Sure. But no big deal. Then, now when I'm working construction after 9-11 and... <laughs> If I worked at the airport, I can't even get clearance because it still shows up, even really a weapons charge. Oh wow! So now I'm um, you know terrorist. Wow! So that haunts you still to this day? Yeah, but it didn't haunt me for years. Right until the <laughs> until new sure, right three DWIs later. Right, right. So how long are you out in Montana and you're drinking with the big boys? Right. Well, shortly after that, I got sent home. Okay. Um, ended up with the, I got my paycheck. I think that week I got my paycheck and uh, and uh, a, a plane ticket back home. So um, when I got back home, that company had pretty much let me go, and you know I didn't tell anybody anything. But sure, a few of the guys were my parents' friends, so you know they let them in. Oh, you know your kids, <laughs> kids gonna be a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so. Um, I ended up going to another company because I pretty much got let go there. And then I went to another company, you know, working out of town, but in state. So I'm still living in hotels. Um, you know, not married yet. I had a girlfriend on and on from, you know, eighth grade sweetheart, whatever. Wow. <laughs> we dated for like 12 years before we ever got married. Wow. On, on and off. And. Um, so, but I'd work out of town and well, I'm up in Duluth with the guys and they drink, you know, I'm a construction worker. I have to live up to my reputation of whistling at girls and, you know, drinking beer. Right. Sure. Know, after work. So it was, it started out a daily thing, you know, pretty early age. Um, so, you know, that's when I was really coming, coming of age, 18, really that becomes pretty quickly a regular part of your life pretty yep for sure and not causing a lot of consequences at this point no. and definitely you're in a in social and in in work environments that are very accepting of this kind of behavior almost so it doesn't stick or 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 encourages it <laughs> right so the behavior's not sticking out at this point in any way, shape, or form that this is a problem, right? This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm normal. Yeah. Normal as normal as they get. Um, I remember one time, you know, I'd get on these new crews, and I was still pretty young. I still wasn't 21 because um, I remember having to have the fake ID to go up there to Duluth and back. And right. I got pulled over for speeding. Um, and he nailed me for, you know, back in the day, Minnesota had the raised letters and numbers, so you could take a razor I remember blade that. and yeah. super glue it. Yeah, uh, yeah. This was the one cop in the state that was smart enough to turn around and look at the backside. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what he called it, but that was that was a spendy ticket. That was 
because um, I had to go all the way back up to Carleton County sure. and pay that fine. Sure. I think it was like 300 bucks. And right. It came with a nice little tagline that won't probably ever go away. But um, So that, you know, the consequences got a little worse. I know when I got back in town with the city boys and then started hanging out at the bars down here, well, then all of a sudden, where do these guys keep going? You know, we're at Pearson's Bar on 33rd and sure. 3rd yeah. in downtown Minneapolis. And, he's, you know, it's a packed bar. It's a pretty rough crowd, but, you know, I'm all lubed up. I didn't care. And everybody kept going downstairs under the bar. Like So I went down there and... You know, I just met these guys, and they're all doing this cocaine everywhere. And it's like, oh, what's, you know, what's this? is this? the party, sure. Uh-huh. This is where the party is, so. And how old are you at this point? Then I was 24. 24. Yeah, I just had a kid right after getting married. Okay. I got married at 24. She's, married at 24. Yep. We got pregnant after 12 years of dating, and she said we're getting married within 30 days because she didn't want to show... And her wedding dress, you know. I think they call that a shotgun wedding. <laughs> there was a couple of shotguns there that day. <laughs> Especially after the best man that I I had, him and I went to the bars with just two of us. Mm-hmm. And we were like half hour late to the pictures um, over at Como Conservatory because we're at the bar. And then we got there and, of course, we're all breaking out in hives and red and sweating and shaky. And <laughs> oh, no. So we were pretty much, we still weren't caught yet, but we went back to the bar in between pictures because we had to go from one side of the conservatory to the other drive. So we went back for one more quick shot. Sure, right. Of course. Yeah. And peppermint schnapps, nobody will smell that. Right. It'll um, be like a breath mint. Right. Um, so when we got back to the wedding... He fell into the goldfish pond. Jesus, oh no. Um, <laughs> did, 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 was there suspicion raised at I, that point? I, I don't remember what people were thinking. <laughs> I remember I had a harp lady playing the music, and I remember looking at her face like she didn't know <laughs> what she got herself into. Um, so like was, maybe she undercharged. I, I believe so. Right. Yeah, so we kind of snuck out of there, and, you know, life went on. <laughs> but, yeah, the cocaine okay. was a whole different story. Tell me about that. that. So, you know, the the only experience I have with cocaine is that uh, my older brother, who never told me to do anything ever, uh, really, at that point in his life, uh, I didn't even really think he cared if I existed or not, <laughs> Right. came home one day. And looked me straight in the eyes with a look that I've never seen right. on his face ever and said, Char, don't you ever, 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 ever do coke. And I mean, ever. Wow. And I said, oh, oh, okay. That's an odd thing to tell me while I'm trying to eat my Cheerios after <laughs> school, you know? Right. And I said, Why? And he's like, because it makes you feel absolutely <laughs> fucking amazing. Yeah. Makes you feel like God. Uh, I and all you want to do is feel that way again. I remember you hearing, uh, listening to your podcast while I'm at work, you know, hanging off the side of a building, 30 stories in the air. I remember you saying that to somebody, and I remember thinking, I wish I had an older brother that would have told me that. <laughs> that so was... Tell me what happens when you try it. You see this... You see, you see the coke downstairs, and you so, see everybody doing it. Yep, and of course they're, you know, 
here, try it, because, you know, that way I'm not going to tell on them kind of thing. Right. So, and it wasn't hard to convince me. When I was drunk, you know, I didn't say nothing. Oh, shit, no, yeah. Nothing. So. Right. I, I did some, and, you know, I even bought some, and I remember, oh, my God, I got my own package, you know, and a little teener or whatever. Probably lasted me, you know, most of the... Well, actually, that first night... <laughs> You know, we did a whole bunch, and I'm trying to impress these guys. And he's like, oh, you can stay over at my house. And you know, Yeah, sleep. you tried to be a big man, right? Like, oh, sure. yeah, right. So we drank all day, and then we did, you know, do some more, and then drink, and then do some more. And it was from drunk to sober to drunk to sober. Well, all of a sudden, I looked at him, I'm like, this stuff's kind of stupid, because, you know, it's not really doing anything to me. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he says, Chris, it's Sunday. You know, it's Friday after work when I went there. It's Sunday. <laughs> you need to go home. I've got to work tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, wow. You know, I literally lost two days of my life. <laughs> That happened in, you know, 30 seconds, it felt wow. like. I was like, wow. So that's when I hung on to that package, and it probably lasted me, you know, a month, because I do it just a little bit here on a weekend or something. Sure. You know, and then that progressively got more. It depends. I played softball five nights a week and then tournaments on the weekends. <laughs> so we had softball every night of the week, to you are an amazing example of, uh, uh, you don't do anything halfway, do you? Oh, yeah, no, no, right. no, no. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I needed an excuse to get out of the house when you're married, you know. <laughs> Bowling and softball right. and right. whatever, right. anywhere around beer. Uh-huh. And I was good to go because all my friends were owned a bar or a liquor store. And I... I was a very smart, resourceful, manipulative addict. <laughs> we'll be right back with the rest of this week's episode as we pause for another edition of Recovery Revealed. Often I am struck by bombs of spiritual truth that enlighten my understanding of how I can be the best version of myself on a daily basis. Recently, a friend encouraged me to live in my gift, which struck me in a profound way and allowed me to be reminded that we all have amazing gifts and we ought not be ashamed or afraid to share them with the world. These gifts, divinely begotten, are begging to be embraced and brought out for all creation to see. One of my gifts, as I understand it, is my ability to share my story of recovery in a meaningful and impactful way. I've been able to wax poetically about myself for as long as I can recall. It was a part of me that I used to keep me sick and mired in all facets of self. No more evident was this than when I was in treatment programs or 12-step recovery prior to my full surrender to this disease on December 6, 2014. Every engagement in recovery prior to this was chocked full of me waxing poetically about my story and little else in the way of anything meaningful from a recovery perspective. Not surprisingly, I suppose, was it that I vowed not to repeat the same mistakes I had made in previous attempts at recovery. And I was committed to doing the opposite regarding the sharing of my story. No doubt I've shared pieces of my story throughout this podcast and even shared my story once as recorded on this podcast to my fellows in my 12-step community. One of the single biggest reasons I started this podcast was to share other people's stories, not mine, as a way of doing the opposite 
and it's been an absolute gift in every sense of the word. That said, how I feel about sharing my story is an indicator I may have overcorrected in my effort to not repeat my personal recovery failures in the past. My good friend looked at me after sharing my story with him and patently declared that I had a gift in the way I was able to share it with him and that I shouldn't feel small or ashamed of this gift. Quite the contrary, it needed to be shared with the recovery community and demanded I share at one of the most well-attended 12-step speaker meetings here in the Twin Cities. It is then selfish of me not to share what I have been given to those I love and know, and even those I have yet to meet. I offer this to you as an instructive tale. Should you find yourself ashamed or afraid to share a gift you know you have been given, it surely is the will of your higher power to share this blessing with those who are in your life. Not to do so would be depriving the world of the magic that is contained within you. Now back to the rest of part one of my interview with Christopher Lee Falk. Listen up. Once every five years, I'd get a DWI. It haunted me every single day. I bet. First thing in the morning, it's all I could think about. I bet. I would right to the fridge and start drinking. I bet. You know, it went from, I couldn't even drink beer anymore. I had to do a shot and then a beer. Don't forget, the way we get the message out to those who still suffer is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, and you kept the right company in order to be able to sustain your addictions. Uh, I plan, like, mastermind it uh, way, way ahead of time. And now looking back, I can see lots of evidence of that. So. are consequences or are people in your life at this point, so uh, you're, you're drinking on the regular and cocaine comes into the, into the mix for you and some pretty reckless behavior. Is there anybody in your life or are there any consequences from employers or legal coming into the foray for you at this point? Yeah, I got... Um, once every five years, I'd get a DWI. Sure, whether you needed it, or, whether you needed it or not. Right, right. Did my check-ins and <laughs> learned how the court system worked because sure. that's going to be part of my later story. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I you know I had my first DWI. A uh, lady actually hit me. I called the cops. I only had a couple beers, so I didn't even think nothing of it. Sure, I did get it knocked down to. Um, careless with alcohol Mm -hmm. whatever because they said you know you're gonna get more and i'm like no i won't (laughs) they're like just hurry up and get it dropped down because when you do get more it'll help you in the long run (laughs) oh sure shit (laughs) five years later i got another one that was a little more severe you know i think and i was like first one i was Mm -hmm. 0.10 and that was the legal limit at the time right uh the second one I was point two two, and that was uh, d- more than double the legal limit. Right. <laughs> um, but still, you know, nobody hurt. Uh, the third one, a uh, buddy of mine, we had a snow day, and so we went to the bars, and 
I didn't remember driving. I remember the kind of getting kicked out of a bar just for being stupid. Sure. <laughs> but uh, I don't remember driving until I hit a rear ended of somebody. I guess I was passing him on the shoulder, trying to get around him, and he wouldn't. You know, we were way up in the middle of nowhere, up north Minnesota. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, there's a stop sign in the middle, and. I ended up rear-ending him. I remember my hood popping straight up in my way. I'm like, that's when, so shit, you know. Right. What am I doing? What the hell? Right. Um, my first instinct was to floor it, and I took off, you know, down some side roads, and uh, all of a sudden I'm You get that fight or flight response. For, it must have been, because I flighted, and I've never flighted before. Yeah. I was gone. Right. And I also and I popped up in downtown Anoka. I took the back roads mm-hmm. through the state uh, county fair there. And when I hit Anoka, I turned around and went right back the other way. And um, he's following me. You know, I'd lose him for a little bit. But then my van started smoking real, real bad and uh, started slowing down. And I couldn't go fast anymore. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's right in my butt. And right. I see he's on the phone. So I called my, or I told my buddy, I said, I seen flames. Yep. I said, get out. I want you to run. Yep. He didn't ask any questions. He got out and he ran. For some reason, I slid over to the passenger seat and I got out that passenger side. And I went over and as he's on the phone with the cops, I'm like, man, did you see that guy? Oh, yeah. And I just said, I made up the biggest lie. I'm like, you know, some dude from California. I was at the bar. He wanted to drive me to the next bar. And <laughs> I don't know how I got away with it. Got away with that one, but... But anything we can do to protect. Protect and lie for years. Three years after that, I lied. I still get called in for investigations, and I just lied, lied, lied. Um, and that wasn't enough to fix me. Never did get charged. I got out of jail that next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, never got charged with anything. Did that haunt you? It haunted me every single day. I bet. <laughs> First thing in the morning, it's all I could think about. I bet. I would right to the fridge and start drinking i bet you know it went from i couldn't even drink beer anymore i had to do a shot and then a beer sure six o'clock in the morning so there was a significant turn after that event right that for sure that one that one haunted me like i said i got fear every morning waking up and i did some you know looking back on it now probably some mental damage (laughs) panic i mean like panic right like all day all morning right first thing in the morning until until you got to normal. Right. You know? What an incredible toll that yeah. took. Right. You know, and then on top of it, going, you know, getting divorced, and then I got child support, and so right. I just build and build and build. Right. And right. Now, was the divorce related to the drinking and the drug use? and? Well, for sure. Um, we just kind of grew separate. She would hang out with her group of friends, and I would mm-hmm. hang out with my group of friends. So. Sure. We just basically lived together, apart. tried raising a kid mm-hmm. together, and mm-hmm. you know, we did the best we could. Right. Um, but three years after that investigation kind of went away, then I, I hit another, I hit a buddy of mine, going from one bar to another, and there was a cop sitting there watching me. Sure. And that was a bad one. So, and he was in a car, and you... you- yeah, he come to the stoplight, and I was screwing yep, around, got it. trying to nudge him, and I nudged Boom. him, and yep. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like, well, there's a cop. Yeah, well, too late. Yep. So, so yeah, when it, that was my third one, and it was a, it was a good, it was a point three seven, and 
know, they wanted felony charges on me. Mm-hmm. And, but mm-hmm. so I thought that would be enough, but it wasn't. I just learned, you know, now I'm I learned how to drive without a license, drive without right. insurance. Right, right, you can drive right. more cautiously. Right, uh, right. But now you've got more, more on your conscience. You've got more that you are, you know, carrying around now, right? So there's more fear probably, more panic, because yes. you're looking over your shoulder all the time. All the time. I mean, and when I would work out of town now, it would take me days to get somewhere, because any car behind me was, was a police officer. Right. So I'd have to take the back roads, and all, and all of a sudden, you know, and I had a half gallon of vodka between my legs, because now at this point, beer don't cut it. Yeah. Um, and I always looked at people, like the bums on the streets in the cities, you know, drinking the vodka. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no way. You know, that's the end of the that road. That is the gutter drunk. That's the worst ones yeah. right there. Never. Yeah. Could you do yeah. that? I'm a high class drunk. Yeah, and I put my Grey Goose vodka in the Hell freezer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. That's high right. class. Right, right. You know, but it wasn't long before that sucker was piss warm in my pocket, and I was chugging it as fast as I could. So yeah, I mean, everything that I pointed out on bad about other people, you know, I ended up doing. So tell me what. How does this come to a head for you? Uh, where does it go? Let me ask you this. Where does it go from here? You've got your third DWI. You rang in at a .37. Yeah. And you're driving without a license. Uh, you still wake up every day probably thinking about the second accident and what you did there, right? right? Uh, you've gone through a divorce, which takes a toll on anybody. Yeah. Right? So now we've got this significant amount of sort of wreckage mm-hmm. as we might want to call it um as a certain book that's blue calls it <laughs> right. right and there's some wreckage now right uh, how is that uh, how does that affect how you operate and how your disease progresses um it made me good at being an addict sure. it made me be plan ahead be more manipulative um isolate more Continue um, to do whatever you could do to make sure that you could continue to use. Right. I'd plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had even heard of people putting it in the backs of toilets, and I'm yep. like, wow, that's a great idea. It's yep. Keep it cold. And yep. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, at this point, I was well past divorced, and I actually had a new relationship. Um, I took my buddy's sister that worked with me. I broke rule number one and dated his sister. <laughs> That is rule number one, definitely. That's bro code. Yes. And, uh, you know, I did ask him permission. I'm like, your sister wants to go on a date. And and, uh, he okayed it. Pretty much just don't knock her up kind of deal. (laughs) So we went to a play downtown and um, nine months later. Wait. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) not really because, you know, uh, like a month later, she's kind of, you know, wanted to... She didn't want to date anybody, and I was 11 years older than her. Yeah. So she's you know, 30, 32, or 22 when I was 33. Sure. But she didn't want to get in a relationship. I'm like, all right, yeah, fine, you know, no big deal. And I let her go do her thing. Um, nine months later, I'm on. Back then, it was MySpace. I don't know anything. Ah, you know, they used to say that from my from MySpace to my place. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Nine months later, she had uh, seen the picture of. Congratulations, you have a 
on your baby boy and I congratulated her. I'm like, oh, congratulations. Right. Like, oh, That's great. Friend. Good for you. Yeah. Right. Well, she's little I know she says we need to talk. Oh, she- <laughs> so I went and talked and held my what I thought to be my second kid. You know, I had Levi was is, who's 20 now. He was um, 10 then. And so then Wyatt was my next boy. And he's 10 also. But after I met him, come to find out there was another girl that had another, I found out, same exact way on, on Facebook. So the, I have two 10-year-olds. Wow. They're uh, 14 days apart. Wow. <laughs> Different. Different moms. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that is just based on a, a living a life where... Um, uh, you have a barrage of chemicals in your body. Yeah, hang out at the bar all night long. Yeah, yep. and uh, yeah. Um, so that was a little, you know. I I I told my I told Levi, you know, I got a brother, and uh, he's the ten year old. I had brought him down, and brought him out to eat, and I said, you know, sat him down, and he's like, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you know, so I had to tell him, you know, and and he got a sister. Um, so that was tough, but mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, my buddy's sister, you know, we talked and we got back together and we dated for, for quite a while. Um, I think we were together like six years, mm-hmm. you know, um, last couple of years we kind of, we were going to go get our own place and her brother had just moved into a house and they were kind of strapped and we, he were, we all were construction. So wintertime. He's like, move in here, you know, you can save us, you know, we'll help you, you help us. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Now I got an excuse to drink every morning. Yeah. Uh, play PlayStation while we're laid off. And, yeah. And drink Hot 100 and the most rotten and just anything to get wasted first thing, five mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's when the drinking took effect. She left. Um, Sarah left, took the kids, and I'm just like, yeah, she'll be back tonight. <laughs> sure. Know, no big deal. Sure. She never come back, and all of a sudden, then the brother, the brother's like, you gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know? So you had worn out your welcome. Yeah. One drunk calling another drunk, you right. gotta go. That's right. Like, wow. Right. Right. So, you know, I left. Um, I went to my sister's, and, uh... I wasn't good. I, I hid it there for a little while, you know. Every time I'd start new, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could hide bottles everywhere, all over the house. But she was she was the best at finding them. Right. And uh, she wasn't shy about leaving them in the upside down. <laughs> right. In the sink when I'd get sure. home, and that sure. was sure. I just oh, it drove me nuts. Yep. So I had to get the, out of there. Well, <clears throat> I went back to work. With my she wasn't enabling your no, disease, right? No, I you know I thought I could trick her. I even had her boyfriend driving me. You know, I, he'd ride. He had to go down down here, down your way at Egan every day. So I'd get right. out in Minneapolis and I'd go work. And so I started making good money. And I went and lived in this little shitty ass Holiday in downtown Minneapolis. I mean, there was people overdosed in the elevator. Wow. Um, it was the worst. Right underneath the Capitol there. It's torn down yep. now. But uh, I lived in there for like 60 bucks a week just to get save up enough money to go get my own place. Sure. So then I, I had a, uh, a million-dollar job downtown St. Paul. So I bought a, a studio apartment right yep. above uh, a bar. 
Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, An alcoholic's dream. Yes. And inside the building was a bunch of musicians with drugs. And right. <laughs> and the bar was open. And I made best friends with the owner. Sure. The bar manager. And sure. I was, yeah. I Off to the down. races, man. And if you're like me, when you get into situation, prior to recovery, when I got into situations where I, ha I had no responsibility or I was quote unquote free. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> those are the worst. Yeah. Uh, can you relate to that in your own story in terms of if I'm not in a relationship or I'm not living with somebody or I don't have kids uh, in the house uh, that's it, it, that's a that was a dangerous ass situation for me it was very dangerous and I ended up getting a check for like 10 grand on one of my jobs I was the superintendent of the jobs and I got 50% profit margins would come to me but sure. I'd have to divvy it out with my guy as well so now I went out and I bought Brand new TVs, sofas, beds, decked this place out, you know, so I was, you know, it was heaven. It was my palace. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was not long before I was isolating, drinking in my apartment by myself, and then going to the bar, because I had a feeling people were catching on and just right. sipping on a beer. You know, right. I'm not, I'm not the drunk. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Um, because you couldn't drink like you wanted to drink out in public. Hell no! Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, right. I got thrown out. Of, I got thrown out of the airport in Las Vegas because I was <laughs> drinking too heavily. They said, right? Um, but yeah, I was waking up on airplanes. My son traveled a lot for baseball, and I'd have to watch him on a little digital TV on a computer. He was a cart, you know, a computer screen, and it would mm -hmm. say strike one, strike two. It was mm -hmm. like watching a video game. Mm -hmm. But it had Levi Falk, and I would just sit mm -hmm. there. Drinking mm -hmm. and crying, you know, that I couldn't be there. Right. Uh, right. Feeling sorry know, for yourself. Next thing I know, I woke up there and made it to the next game, you know. Right. Right. I, but I'd have to sit out in the outfield because I didn't, you know, I was still drinking. And, um, you know, he figured it out real quick. And I think that's, you know, he asked me one time, why, you know, why don't you just give it up? I'm like, what? <laughs> give, give what up? Give what up? Right. What are you talking about? Like, well, yeah. Why? What are you talking? Why would you yeah. say that? Right. Right. So, you know, that was one of the, it's like, all right, it hit at home when he said that. And so I had bet the bar manager, she said she wanted to quit drinking. And so I was like, I'm, let's have a contest. You know, that was my first attempt at, you know. How old were you? Um, 30, 39. 39 yeah. was the first time you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to stop. For real. For real. For real. Like I, right. you know, you had previously these wake up calls where mm -hmm. you're like, this is a problem. These moments yeah. of clarity. Right. One other time I had, uh, I had a choice, jail or treatment. Sure. But it was outpatient treatment. I bullshitted my way through it. Yeah. Nobody ever does every that. Day. Yeah. Nobody ever does that. No patient yeah. treatment. I, the guy gave me the amethyst and said you're the best recovery I've ever had. <laughs> just, wow. So you didn't have, you're, you're familiar with my story, you didn't have an Eileen. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Got it. No, no, no. So, so yeah, I, you know, it, it progressed, and I got a, I finally better that we're going to, you know, I'm going to quit drinking, and I didn't make it two days. I was shaking and sweating, so I went and bought this, I went to Walgreens and bought a 
alcohol tester so that I could unplug it and, and pretend. I go, sure. I had two of them. Yeah. One, so she, you know, I could, this one won't blow numbers and this one won't. Sure. Um, that's you know, the extent I went. And then I'd hide a bottle of vodka in the gutter around the block in the alley. You quickly realized that you couldn't, couldn't be sober. Could not. No way. Okay. Couldn't happen. But you also were realizing that you couldn't continue to drink the way you were drinking. Right. Okay, so we go back to drinking because we've realized now. So now we've had a realization that I got to quit. I got to yeah. sober up. This is a problem, right? right? Right. And you try to get sober, and it's a literal hell on earth. Right. And you come to the conclusion, I can't be sober. No. So you go back to drinking. Drinking, yep. Heavier, what does that look isolate, like? I, isolated. Okay. Um, so now I'm drinking in the middle of the night. I'm walking the streets. Guys smoking crack. You know, so then I'm getting into that. You know, I didn't smoke crack. I smoked purified cocaine. Sure. Cook the cocaine sure. down. Sure. Purified cocaine. Mm-hmm. I, was, I wasn't a crackhead. Um, so all of a sudden, all that stuff in my apartment started going to the pawn shops. Real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was the end of the spiral. Was just fast and furious. Um, Spending that on cocaine and alcohol. Yep, all day, every day. My boss had called me in and questioned. Had a GPS on the truck. You know where you been? Your spending habits out of town are high. What's all these bar charges? And I was drunk then, and mm-hmm. you know, there's ten of them. Pretty much did an intervention on me without saying it, but you're like. We had this human resource girl. She goes, do you need treatment? I'm like, what? And I threw the keys. I quit my job, and I just went down on my last spiral, kind of drinking every day, you know, no, until <laughs> I ran out of money. And I ran into a girl that said she wanted to, she said, I told her I was going to quit for real. And she's like, I know that's recovery community. And I laughed at her. I'm like, recovery community? <laughs> I don't know, hang out with them kind of people. <laughs> Those people are weird. <laughs> You're systematically taking down every game behind you. This is fun. It's good. I like it. So Um, she mentions, and how do you run into this person? Is this just a freak? Oh, she is, uh, she's in the band downstairs in the bar every night. All right. All right. I talked to her. And is she in recovery? She's not in recovery. Okay, but she knows She's worse off than I was. (laughs) (laughs) And she's uh, telling you about a recovery. She hangs out with people in recovery, and she's telling me about it. All right. And so she said she knew the way, and so I'm like, well, whatever the way is, you know, I go, let's let's talk about it a little more. And so one morning I woke up in my fridge and I was down to my last pint or whatever. Mm-hmm. Six o'clock in the morning, I drank that. I knew the liquor store didn't open till eight. Yep. And the next one down the street, you know, I can't go back to the same one. No, so no, I, we got to rotate. So I got enough to blow numbers and go walk in this detox. And right when I walked up to the detox. Um, I ran. I had my woman sip. I'm like, shoot! You know, I got. I need a little bit more. So I walked back to the liquor store and sure, got another sure. one. Sure. So then, of course, I'm second guessing myself. Well, I called her. I, I lost my way. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. I go. You need to bring me to this place. I go. I just. I'm ready. You know, kind of deal. So she. I told her the crossroads I'm at. She swung by within ten minutes. Picked me up. You know, I took my bottle. And I threw it in the back seat of her car. And I said, I'm ready. So she brought me up, and she parked in front of the building. And 
So there, I go through that door. So I walked up to the door, the detox downtown St. Paul. I open it, and I see it's this locked room. So I kind of close the door. I'm kind of waiting for her to leave. Right. Because I knew if that door clicked, there was no way out. Stuck. Yep. Right. And all right. of a sudden, as soon as I went to pick it back open, it clicked. And I knew I was stuck. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm surrendering. I'm going to tell this. This time I'm going to tell the assessor the truth. And I did. And this lady. Looked, why? Why? Do you have any concept of why? Why this time, after all of this time, after everything that you've been through to date, all of the manipulating, all of the protecting your disease and your addictions, right? Why now? I, I think I was just desperate. I, I was at the end of my rope. People were catching on to my bullshit. Um, you know, I was running out of money. I lost my job. I was going to take too much work. It's gonna take too much work to to get my keep my head above water. So I was just I was. Um, you talk about this alone, this loneliness, right? Yeah. And it, you know, as your it, it sounds like as your disease progressed, you increasingly became more isolated, both based on choice, mm-hmm. but also based on people not wanting to put up with you. Yeah. Right. Well, more than likely, yeah. Yeah, right. Even like my drunk buddies didn't want to hang out with me. So you're in this alone place, in this isolated place. You feel like I, I got nobody left. I got nobody left that's gonna that's gonna enable me, right? I would get, you know, robbed or jumped or beat up trying to go by, you know, at four o'clock in the morning after the bars closed. Um, I'd be on the park benches. I'd lose my keys. I couldn't even find my own apartment. I'd be on the park benches with them bums I was telling you about earlier that drink the that gutter drugs. Stuff. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I'd be digging in their pockets that were soaked in piss to find their bottles of vodka just so I could take a sip. Sure, sure, that sure. Was that bad? That's that that that's that's how it got for you. Yeah, and I'd walk into a bar and I'd say, "Hey, can I get a drink?" And she's like, "No." And I'm like, well, "Why?" She goes, "You're peeing your pants right now." Wow. And so it was bad. Really bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't even realize. Right. Um, so, yeah, when that door clicked and I looked at that lady, she started looking at me in the eyes and she's like, I told her, I go, you know, I'm ready to, I'm ready for treatment. I go, I'm going to do, I've seen the movie, I'm going to do 28 days. <laughs> I'm going to take that. With Sandra Bullock, right? Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take that magic pill. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. going to call it good. And life is going to be like unicorns and butterflies. For sure. She she laughed, of course. And she told me this was my big surrender. She told me she goes, "This is she goes. If you're not willing to give up two years of your life right now, quit your job, quit everything." She goes, "You're hopeless. You're a hopeless case." Um, and I hit home. I'm like, two years? That's ridiculous. You know, that's a long time away." Right. Um, so when I looked at her, I remember just making that eye contact, and she's not kidding. Two years, and uh, I kind of I got it. I said I'll do anything I can, and she kept me there detoxing for five five days, the whole five days. You know, my tongue, she would, I'd, my shakes would go away. I could hide it from her trying to get out. She'd make me stick my tongue out. There was a new trick I learned, because <laughs> your tongue shakes too. Ah. So I was in bad, bad DTS, and so she. And she knew. Me. I mean, she, this this woman knew what was she, going on. She knew. Yeah. Uh, this is downtown St. Paul, and you know I'm with some 
people that have probably been in detox, you know, 30 times just that year, and she knew how bad I was. Right, right. And it's interesting you talk about, I, 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 we understand that there's people that are brave enough to give it to a straight. Yeah. And she was one of those people for you. She was. And, uh, you know, I've actually gone back uh, over a thanks. I want to make you know, yeah. a connection with her, but right. there's no way to get that record. So, yep. so is that right? But that's a blessing, right? That's a, And it doesn't feel like it at the time. It, it is a blessing. And, and what the biggest blessing is, is now I'm on track to do what she's doing. So tell me what happens after detox. Where do you go? You go to treatment? Detox, yeah. She kept me the full five days. She could only keep me five days. Um, and she goes, the good news is we found you a place. The bad news is the bed's not open for... At first, it was seven days. Sure. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'm going drinking. I yeah. told her, I go, I'll drink. <laughs> I, I know. She goes, I can't keep you any longer, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to walk out, you know, and she hugged me goodbye. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out, where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety day will.